everybody to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Andrew Ward, who's a cannabis journalist and copywriter based in New York and America. How are you keeping today, Andrew? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on, Owen. Delighted to have you on, man. I've been following you on Twitter for a number of years now and love your content. So I've no doubt a lot of people should know who you are and be following your uh, content. Do you maybe want to give everybody a quick little overview of where you got to in the industry now and uh, your original starting point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I I don't feel like people follow me a lot, so it's always weird and humbling to hear that. But thank you. I appreciate it. Um, freelance cannabis journalist. I've been working in the space for about seven years now. Um, I do uh, articles for places like High Times, Rolling Stone, Business Insider, Benzinga, a bunch of other publications, um, some place out there. Uh, I do copywriting for various cannabis uh, companies as well. Um, you know, that pays the bills so I can keep in the news media world. And it's a, a precarious balance, but it's been a fun one over the last few years. Do a lot of blogging, web copy, the sort of the SEO backend sort of stuff uh, on that side of things. And uh, yeah, I got into the space uh, about seven years ago after I got laid off from a freelance job, I, or from a full-time job, I should say. I was looking to go freelance, but I really wasn't ready for it when I got laid off in January 2017. And it took me a couple months to try to figure out what market I wanted to go into. And I was almost actually going back to full-time because um, I was not sure where I wanted to go. And I was about to smoke a bowl one night. And I saw an interview with Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. And he basically said, you know, find someone who will pay you for the job that you love doing that you're not getting paid for at the moment. And uh, that's kind of what I took a shot at. And I used uh, some of my startup uh, industry work to push my sales experience and kind of highlight one or two articles that I've written for back in the day about cannabis and kind of took off from there. And I've just been really fortunate to kind of ride the wave and be adaptable along the way and lead me here. And, you know, now I'm doing a little bit more on YouTube and the media side because I'm kind of seeing the tea leaves of people not wanting to read as much news and, you know, just trying to get accessible and reach out to people. So just staying adaptable and, you know, keeping up in the space. And I've written a few books too, but those, you know, those are just other things. So yeah doing a bunch of stuff and just trying to stay as flexible and as adaptable in this wide world of weed. Yeah, how you distribute the content seems to be a juggling act over the last couple of years of what platform, what size content, how long, uh, a multitude of variables. Yeah, I give, kudos, I give credit to anyone who can actually break through on that. I'm trying myself at this point and I'm getting you know, maybe about 40, 50 views on a YouTube video and a couple subscribers here and there. And that feels like good games, but you know, seeing these people that go viral and get the news out there, I, it's hard because I don't want to ever prioritize getting that big news out there, but it is pretty important as well. So it's kind of, you know, you have to look at it from what, some part of the, the process, but at the same time, you have to just take the news and approach it and hopefully people will take notice. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. For anybody who's not following uh, Andrew on Twitter already, Canna Rider, the Canna Rider is his handle. I highly recommend checking him out. It seems to me at the moment, the content creators in cannabis who seem to be getting the pop are, as you said, either investigative journalists who are working in the industry and they're breaking news, or they're a personality or are trying to turn themselves into a brand with consumer-friendly content, would I say. When you're covering the business side of things, it, it seems to me that like a top chunk of the industry are already keeping up to date with everything. So there's not really a, as big a, a viewing pool when you're approaching legalization as opposed to when full legalization comes. I think there's a, it, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place over the coming years until the industry is fully professional and fully matured and there's an exact consumer base to target with exact type of content. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, you pretty much you nailed it on the head with the investigative journalists and the personality side of things. Um, you know, you kind of have to go one way or another. And I personally, you know, I think there's a room for both sides as long as it's good quality journalistic work. The problem is with the personality sides I've noticed is there's a lack of editorial oversight and not many of them have gone to a journalism, you know, education, whether it be an actual journalism degree or just even some courses on journalism. Um, there, it's kind of, I don't know, from my side, I, you know, I was a creative writing degree. I wasn't a journalist, but I worked in the journalism space and kind of had those understandings when I came into it. And there are some people that are lacking on, you know, the quality and the research that I did see on the investigative side. But on the converse, you know, the investigative side is really tough. Uh, there's a lot of people, like you said, covering the same stuff. There are a lot of people covering the same news. And um, unless you're catching breaks and scoops, you know, it's you're not really doing much, I feel like, other than just regurgitating the news out there. So that was kind of where I found myself conflicted on it. And um, I'm just not the passion of being a breaking news writer. I would much rather sit down and do a profile and make sure I got my sources. And, you know, kudos to anyone who can do the breaking news. It's just not my thing. And that's where I'm kind of finding myself like into the personality side. I'm not so much try. I've been saying for months now, I'm not trying to be an influencer, but I'm 100% using the playbook on how to be an influencer to try and get news out there and make it accessible to, like you said, those folks that have that top level information, you know, they're on top of the news, but there's so many people that aren't on top of the news. And whether they're industry folks or just, you know, casual consumers. And I'm hoping that's kind of where I'm looking at to kind of find my niche now at this point. And we'll see if it works. And in a few months, I could be entirely wrong. And this could all be out of date. I don't know. But, um, you know, yeah, the, the world of news is growing, um, even though there isn't a ton to cover. So, you know, you really got to find your space in it because I feel like, you know, you, if you're telling the news, even then you still got to be unique because otherwise, why would they not go to the best investigative journalists out there? So either be the best or find a niche in there where you are the best and actually start educating people. Yeah, very good. When it comes to cannabis media content, we I think we all grew up with high times kind of being the pinnacle of the media landscape and cannabis. But I think everybody agree that they've fallen a, a far away way from their uh, heydays and their glory days. Who is the top cannabis media content platform in America as far as you're concerned? Well, I will say I do freelance for high time, so I'm not going to uh, throw some daggers on them just much, but I do understand the fit, the blowback they've gotten. And I mean, you know, changes in leadership over time definitely give people some opinions on it. And, uh, you know, I've seen it in the comments and I, I totally understand it. Um, I do, I would push a little bit back and say it's, a lot more about the individuals that are writing it, you know, whether it be High Times, whether it be other publications, you really got to make sure most of these publications, it's the individual who's writing it. So really follow the byline and, you know, make sure it's people either of the culture or of a respectable journalism background or, you know, really who's done their research. Um, so really watch the bylines. But to that point, to give you some actual uh, guidelines and, you know, some my favorites. It really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for American politics coverage, Marijuana Moment is my favorite, no doubt. I think Tom Angel, Kyle Yeager, Ben Adlin, the rest of that team are some of the top-notch people out there. Uh, Politico is also really good. Natalie Fertig and uh, the rest of the team out there are doing amazing work. Um, there's Jeremy, Jeremy Burke at Cultivated News. He used to write for Business Insider. He is now doing his own independent uh, newsletter, and he is a great mix of business and politics uh, and a little bit of culture as well. If you're looking for the business side of things, um, MJ Biz Daily, Marijuana Business Daily is one of the best. Um, Cannabis Business Times is also really good. Um, 
some people will say Benzinga. I did use to write for them, so I don't want the Stella sour grapes. But you know, a lot of that is like press release stuff. So if you're trying to keep up with the industry on a press release side, that's really good. But if you're looking for more in-depth business reporting and things like that, you might want to steer to the one that I already mentioned. Um, that said, you know, um, High Times, I still do read. Uh, I think Herb has some stuff, but a lot of it, I think, is also just going to YouTube and social media and finding these influencers. Um, the LA Times did a, a feature on Friday about this influencer named Maha Hawk, who is also working for Normal and doing a bunch of other great stuff in the space. And, you know, she's not getting, she's not a writer, but she's getting the news out there. So I would say look for the publications, um, but you also can look beyond that and just really find the individuals that are trustworthy. And that's a really big thing for me at this point. Okay, very good. I want to move on now to an update on New York. It seems to be ever-changing landscape as the weeks go by. Can you maybe give everybody just a quick little overview of in the last couple of weeks, what has really changed from the last update we had the court case was brought, the card license were suspended, and now we have a gap in between then and now. So maybe if you could fill everybody up on what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you specified which court case because there it could be easily answered what court case because New York is just adding more and more as the days go by, it seems like. Um, so yeah, the, the court case was the injunction. It was about 400 or so, I believe, licensed retailers um, that were in limbo and many were really close to opening up the shop. And the injunction was placed. I know there was a couple of files to trying to get some of those, I think it was like 30 or so, to get emergency injunctions to get them in. And the case was, or the uh, judge pushed back on that, uh, giving, uh, you know, continuing to block their access. Um, and yeah, it was stuck and the court was going to, the case was moving on. I think they said probably late September, early October would be the earliest we would get any sort of decision. And I, uh, the state, I guess, decided that we're going to fold on that and finally open up the licensing to everyone. And uh, yeah, we're here now. Um, it's uh, starting October 4th, the licenses or the applications can be officially submitted and everyone can uh, submit to be put in. So, you know, it does take a massive blow to the social equity advocates and those uh, hoping to see more equitable shops opening. Um, and, you know, that's a very fair argument. But at the same time, the argument is that New York has failed miserably at opening up shops and people are drowning in business debt and people aren't getting access to their cannabis and it's just a whole mess so it's, it's a really big nuanced argument and you know that one seems to now be settled but there's a floodgate of other ones from advertising to specific local regulations that are now being contested so uh, i'm no legal expert but i just from the history of things we're probably going to see a lot more coming in the next couple of weeks and months yeah, it seems to be that everybody was in favor of the card license, and I don't think anybody would disagree with trying to get that done. It seemed like the right thing to do. But you then left yourself with this stretch of time where the cultivators who had product, there was a multitude of businesses that were highly leveraged and either were ruining product or were going out of business, and the delay was affecting them. Do you think that this explosion of retail now is going to usher in a new dawn in the New York industry, or is that explosion of retail stores still a a little bit away um i mean it really depends on how quick we can get the applications approved and the rollout from you know what i saw with some of the card applicants you know there was a seemingly quick turnaround you know maybe a couple of weeks couple of months and really heard that there were shops close to opening but you know it's probably going to be a couple month process um i'm not too certain on how the rollout is going to be but i do expect the the proliferation of shops, legal license shops to happen within the next six months. I think uh, New York, the governor, a lot of people are really going to try to 
save their image to be completely honest with you i don't think it's really about making cannabis right or any or you know any sort of moral endeavor and honestly i think from the lawmaker perspective it probably wasn't even that way when they were doing it with social equity for a lot of them it's just to look good uh the governor is catching a lot of flack finally for the failed rollout of this so i could totally see them trying to expedite the process and make those retail shops open real quick but i wouldn't confidently say it's going to happen but i could definitely see them pushing for it and on the scale of products, obviously the hemp farmers were allowed to grow first with cannabis. What's the state of the, the cultivation season over there? Is there a huge excess of flour and um, where the hemp farmers managed to, to do a good job with the first batch or should have real uh, adult use commercial grow operators been allowed to get in there first? Uh, so it's, you know, I'm no expert grower, but I am a pretty regular consumer for the past 18 or so years. So from my own perspective, the product that, pardon me, that came out originally wasn't that great a product. It was, even compared to the illicit market where you could buy your products from, it was, you know, not really all that vibrant colors. The smell, the aroma really wasn't there. It wasn't bad, but, you know, for the price, especially with the high tax markup, it just wasn't really of quality. Um, and that was a big pushback that came in the early days of the market around December, January of 22, 23, when the market opened. Um, a lot of people I told, met at that time were saying, you know, give it till April. The second wave of crops, the second wave of licenses are going to bring better products. And you know, we're going to see better pricing. And supposedly that has been the case. I've gone to a few licensed dispensaries, but to be completely honest, I've still stuck with the legacy market and even some of the unlicensed shops that I, I trust um, for a product because to be completely honest, a lot of them have better product. Um, not a lot of them. There are select shops that have those products. So, you know, I think the licensed market is getting there. And I know from my own personal opinion, more of their products and their pricing are starting to pique my interest. Um, so, you know, I think the initial rollout of the hemp cultivators is argued by a lot of folks and I'll leave it up to them to say, you know, if it was the right or wrong, I think New York fumbled the ball in so many ways with the regulations that it probably is worth scrutinizing this decision. But the problem is, is that New York really, you know, kind of just, they damaged the hemp farmers because they didn't open up the shops. They create all these regulatory hurdles that there was hundreds of thousands of pounds of biomass that never even reached the market. So these farmers were just, they had a year's worth of crops that were just sitting in silos basically and just dying. So if any of it hit the market, it was months late and it was just, you know, kind of aged product. And a lot of it just never even reached the market for anyone to even try and sample and give an opinion of. Um, during the, um, the public hearing, uh, the public hearing session that went on with the latest OCM uh, decision before they opened up the licensing to everyone, tons of hemp farmers were there talking, or tons of hemp farmers as well as other cultivators were talking about the problems in the market. You know, they now have two seasons of crops that are sitting there because they can't get them out. Um, the one farmer, um, she talked about having to sell her tractor in January to just keep the farm open. And just now it's August when they did this window and she had nothing else to sell. Um, some people talked about, you know, self-harm and, you know, you know, really taking grave outcomes because of this. So it's it's really sad. So my, my takeaway when I did a recent article on the product quality is, yeah, you can scrutinize the start with the hemp farmers. Some will say yes, some will say no to that. But I think really the biggest problem is that the regulators, once again, made massive mistakes, overpromised the situation. And now I don't know what they can do. They got to give money to these people or help them because there's a lot of people that are just, I don't know, it's, it's a really ugly situation. 
Yeah, it's uh, it'll be a keen eye, what uh, keeping an eye on everything that happens over between now and Christmas, and hopefully we get a lot of good news for both sides of the coin in the New York industry. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Andrew. Hopefully we get to do these uh, a little bit regularly. We can do European and New York information swap. For anybody who hasn't been to Andrew's website yet, it's IamAndrewWard.com. It'll be at the description wherever you're watching or listening to this. And on Twitter, I highly recommend following at the kind of writer. Um, Andrew, thank you very much for taking your time to do this, mate. Thanks for having me on. I'll be on anytime. Now i got to get you on my show sometime. Yeah, indeed. Until next episode, everybody, thank you. Thank you.